Uh, brothers and sisters, welcome to another episode of the BHP, the Bible History Project. Our topic for today is all about Ephraim confronting Jephthah. If you still remember, in our last Bible study concerning the book of Judges, we know that Jephthah became the instrument of Yahuwah to liberate the people of Israel from the oppression of the Ammonites. And so 18 years of oppression, and Yahuwah heard the cry of his people, and he raised up a judge who would be Jephthah. So after the victory over the Ammonites, one would expect that Jephthah uh, would be received well by every tribe, by every mem member of the Israel population. However, what happened after Jephthah was victorious over the Ammonites? Let's read here in the book of Judges, chapter 12 and the verses 1. Then the people of Ephraim mobilized an army and crossed over the Jordan River to Zaphon. They sent this message to Jephthah. Why didn't you call for us to help you fight against the Ammonites? We are going to burn down your house with you in it. Can you imagine that? I mean, here's Jephthah. He risked his life to save the people of Israel from the oppression of the Ammonites. And so Israel is now free of oppression from the Ammonites. And what does Ephraim do? Well, they charge towards Jephthah and they bring with them their entire army and they threaten Jephthah. They say to Jephthah, we're going to burn down your house with you in it. Can you imagine what Jephthah must have been thinking? This tells us and reminds us that no matter where you go, it's always it's always seems to be the case that there will always be people who complain. You notice that, right? There are people who complain. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with giving feedback, but typically when people complain, they offer no solutions. And the reason why they complain, it's not really because they want to help or they want the organization or the people to improve. They have a different motive. What could that be? Well, when they threatened Jephthah, what did Jephthah say to them? Let's read. Jephthah replied, I summoned you at the beginning of the dispute, but you refused to come. You failed to help us in our struggle against Ammon. So when I realized you weren't coming, I risked my life and went to battle without you. And Jehovah gave me victory over the Ammonites. So why have you now come to fight me? And so what was the response, the reply of Jephthah when Ephraim accused him of not summoning the people of Ephraim? Well, Jephthah says, I did summon you at the beginning of the dispute, but you refused to come. And so if a tribe refuses to come and they're going to go up against the Ammonites, are you going to waste your time expecting and hoping that they will come and show up? Of course not. And so Jephthah did what was best. He realized Yahuwah is with him. And so it doesn't really matter if Ephraim joined in the battle because it's not really his battle to begin with. It is Yahuwah's battle. Yahuwah would deliver the people of Israel. And so Yahuwah did do that. And he was able to overcome the Ammonites. And so Jephthah was telling Ephraim, we called you, but you didn't want to come. So we did it ourselves with the help of Yahuwah. So why have you not come to fight me? So the Ephraimites, not only did they complain, these people 
really did not want to become a part of the solution. That always seems to be the case. The people who complain, they're not willing to be a part of the solution. They just like spectators. They want everyone else to be engaged and solve the problems. And they just sit by and complain and complain and complain. So the reason why, the real reason why the Ephraimites charged Jephthah is because of jealousy, because they could not accept credit for their victory. And now they're saying and complaining, you did not call us to fight with you. But the truth of the matter is, they refused to join in the battle. And so Jephthah is now facing these people, the Ephraimites, and they bring their own army with them. And so really Jephthah had no choice but to do something to defend himself. And so what did he do? The people of Ephraim responded, you men of Gilead are nothing more than fugitives from Ephraim and Manasseh. So Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and attacked the men of Ephraim and defeated them. And so these people from Ephraim, not only do they hurl threats against Jephthah, he also insulted Jephthah and the Gilead people, saying that they were just fugitives. And so because they brought their army and threatened to burn down the house of Jephthah with him in it, what did he do? He attacked the men of Ephraim and defeated them. It was an easy victory for Jephthah. They did not know who they were dealing with. The Ephraimites were all talk, but no walk. They just like to complain, but really they have no ability to do what is proper and right. And so they were easily defeated by Jephthah and his people. And so when Jephthah was able to defeat the Ephraimites to quell the rebellion, what did he also have to do? Jephthah, in the book of Judges 12, 5 to 6, Jephthah captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And whenever a fugitive from Ephraim tried to go back across, the men of Gilead would challenge him. Are you a member of the tribe of Ephraim? They would ask. And so they wanted to contain the people of Ephraim because who knows, they were defeated now, but in the future, they can bring, they can muster enough forces and rebel again and attack Jephthah again. And so what did Jephthah do? They wanted to make sure this would not happen. And so he captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River to kind of have a border control, to, to, to patrol the border so that no one would be able to cross it. And so when someone is going to cross it, he's going to be interviewed. Are you an Ephraimite? Because if this was an Ephraimite, he would be killed. If he's not an Ephraimite, okay, they can cross. And so what was, I mean, if you were part of the border patrol and a person comes to you and you ask him, are you an Ephraimite? They probably will say, no, I'm not from Ephraim, right? They can easily lie about that. But there was a way by which they can determine who were those who were Ephraimites. Let's read uh, what the test question was. If the man said, no, I'm not, they would tell him to say, Shiboleth. Say Shiboleth. If he was from Ephraim, he would say, Siboleth. <laughs> Siboleth. Because people from Ephraim cannot pronounce the words correctly. Then they would take him and kill him at the shallow crossings of the Jordan. In all 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. And so what was the test question to determine whether or not the person is from Ephraim? 
they would ask them pronouns shiboleth. <laughs> if they say siboleth, it means they are from Ephraim because the Ephraimites, for some reason, were unable to pronounce the H. That's kind of odd. I know in the Philippines, there's like different dialects. And there's a dialect in the Philippines where they have trouble pronouncing the S, the H, right? And so this was also uh, the case with the Ephraimites. They could not pronounce correctly Shiboleth. And so if one were to say Shiboleth, he would be killed. <laughs> 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. That's pretty sad. I mean, in a time of victory, these people who rebelled were all put to death. And so Jephthah resumed leadership, and he became the judge of Israel for six years. When he died, he was buried in one of the towns of Gilead. It's too bad he was unable to produce a family of his own or grandkids because we know of his vow, right? And so his daughter, Jephthah's daughter, in keeping up with his vow, he gave her over to work in the tabernacle. And so this was the story of Jephthah. We're finished with Jephthah. We now move on to the next judge, Judges 12, 8 to 10. After Jephthah died, Ibzan from Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He sent his daughters to marry men outside his clan, and he brought in 30 young women from outside his clan to marry his sons. Ibzan judged Israel for seven years. When he died, he was buried at Bethlehem. And so the next judge after Jephthah dies is someone by the name of Ibzan. What do we know about Ibzan? That's it right there. The passage that we just showed you. We don't really know much about Ibzan. He was one of the minor judges or lesser judges all we know is that, he, is that he became a judge and he ruled for seven years and eventually he would die okay and after he dies another judge takes place takes his place after elon died abdon son of hillel from pirathon judged israel he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys he judged israel for eight years uh, when he died, he was buried at Pirathon in Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So we have Ibzon, then Elon, then Abdon. All of these were minor judges. And so we're finished now with the book of Judges chapter 12. That's it for chapter 12. Nothing is known about the other minor or lesser judges, which is why now I want to go back uh, before we go ahead and conclude today. I want to go back and examine and look at what we can gain as far as lessons are concerned so that we can apply in our life because this is one of the reasons why we study bible history so that we can learn we can gain something that we can apply in our everyday life in preparation for our salvation so i wanted to kind of highlight this part in the book of judges remember when the ephraimites when they wanted to cross the Jordan, and there was a something that they had to do, something that they had to say for them to be able to cross, because it was the word Siboleth. And so if they were from Ephraim, they would be unable to say the word Siboleth. And they would not be able to say Shiboleth. They will, they will only say Siboleth. And so the H is missing. 
this is uh, this episode in the history of the people of Israel. I think we can gain something from that, and this actually became influential in terms of how we understand language today as well. The Hebrew word shibolet means a scream or ear of grain. That's what it means. The Ephraimites were unable to pronounce the aspirate, as indeed the Greeks also have no sh sound and said siboleth. So for them, it was a dead giveaway. Siboleth, without the H sound, the sh, means burden. And to the Ephraimites, it sure was. And so there's a difference between shibolet and siboleth. One means a stream or ear of grain. The other means a burden. The Ephraimites were exposed because they were unable to pronounce shibolet. Instead of shibolet, it became Sibolet. And so the term Shibolet came into the English language. Did you know that? The term Shibolet, because of this story in the book of Judges, came into the English language as something which determines which side you are on. In modern English usage, a Shibolet is the same as an acid test, because that's basically what it was. It was an acid test for the people who were claiming they were not from Ephraim. And so the acid test revealed whether they were from Ephraim or whether they were not from Ephraim. And so acid test, it's kind of nice to kind of be able to utilize in determining our allegiances, right? An Ephraimite is known and is revealed by how he pronounces words. We are not Ephraimites. We are Christians. We follow Yahushua. We are followers of our king, Yahushua. So I want to kind of apply this concept of Shibboleth in a positive way. Okay. So if there was an acid test that back then revealed who the people of Ephraim were, is there an acid test today so that we can know if we truly belong to Yahushua? What do you think? Do you think there's an acid test? Can we know for sure if we belong to Yahushua? What if we claim, I belong to Yahushua, and then an acid test is given to us? Will we pass that test? I mean, what do you think the acid test would be? Would it be a pronunciation issue? Just like the pronunciation problems, the Ephraimites had and it became their burden and so one might think uh-huh will our salvation be based on how we pronounce the sacred names if we for example pronounce yahuwah instead of yahuwah what if we say yahweh what if we have a totally different pronunciation of the sacred names is that the acid test cannot be is it the acid test, if we're unable to pronounce Yahusha correctly, is it Yahusha, Yahusha, right? So one might think, okay, what is, what would serve as quote-unquote an acid test? Is it the pronunciation of the name? I don't think so. I don't think it's the pronunciation of the name. Yes, it's good that we pronounce the name correctly, as correct as we can possibly do it, because it shows that we desire to know his name because the name is important to Yahushua. The name is important to Yahuwah. So it's but right that we human beings will do our best 
to try and grasp and understand the, the, the name, how to pronounce it, so that we can enhance our relationship with our father and his beloved son. But if we mispronounce the name somehow, is that the issue? Is that the acid test? I don't think so, because we know in the book of John, 1, 12 to 13, yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Is it good to pronounce the name of God, the name of the Son of God correctly? Absolutely. We honor Yahuwah and Yahusha by doing so. But is it a salvation issue? I don't think so. I think what's more important than pronouncing the name is understanding and believing the name so one can trust in the name. What does it mean to trust in the name so that we can become children of God? What does it mean to truly believe in his name? It simply means to understand what the name means and to understand how that name relates to the authority and the character of the Son of God. This is why if we were to ask, is there, quote-unquote, an acid test that we feel we belong to Yahushua? I think there is. But I think it's not pronouncing the name that's the acid test. What could it be? Galatians 5, 24, 25, 22. Those who belong to Christ, Yahushua, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucify them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so what's the acid test? The Ephraimites, they were influenced by the culture, the language, the pronunciation of that region in Ephraim, right? And so if we truly belong to Yahushua, there also should be an influence that reveals we truly belong to our king, Yahushua. What is that influence? The Holy Spirit. Bible tells us those who truly belong to Yahushua do not simply profess that they belong to Yahushua. They don't simply pronounce the name Yahushua correctly. No, those who truly belong to our King Yahushua, Bible says, Holy Spirit leads in every part of our lives. And so that's the acid test. How can we know a person is from Ephraim? They can't pronounce Shiboleth. How can we know if a person is from our King Yahushua? The Spirit controls every aspect of their life. Well, how can we know, right? What's the proof? That the Spirit controls every aspect of our life. We just read verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And so what could be considered? A quote-unquote acid test that reveals we truly belong to our King. Yahushua, what is it? Yeah, these virtues. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. However, what kind of love must we possess? What kind of joy? What kind of peace? What kind of patience? Because there are people who show love, 
There are people who show joy, even though they don't belong to our king, Yahushua. And so what would make these virtues, love, joy, peace, and all the way to self-control, what would make these virtues truly an indication that we belong to our King Yahushua? If it's produced by the Holy Spirit. If it's produced by the power of God instead of human self-ability. Because human ability and human power allows us to experience peace, patience, kindness, right? I mean, you can go to a clinic, a behavioral change clinic, and you can change your habits. You can learn how to change your demeanor and change your personality by behavioral techniques, right? But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control produced by the Holy Spirit. So how do we know what is this love, this joy that is the, the, the result, the product, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? For example, when it comes to love, what is Holy Spirit empowered love? Matthew 5, 44, 45, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in that way. You will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the, the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Question. When you say to the people you know, to the people you work with, to the people who may be your acquaintances, when you announce to the world, I am a Christian. How do they respond? Do they say and respond with disbelief and say, him? He's a Christian? Right? How do they respond? Do they respond with ridicule, mockery? He's a Christian? Or do they respond with belief? That makes sense. That's why he's like that. Because he's a Christian. You know, brother, what kind of response do we get? A lot of times, the response that we get from people when we say we are Christians, that we follow our King Yahushua, it, the response will kind of be influenced by what they see in our life. Because human beings observe. <laughs> this is why there's like a lot of gossip. People like to observe people. Sometimes they make conclusions, right? And so when they observe us, when we talk, when we participate, when we, when, when we interact, they're watching. And sometimes... There are people who will do things that will make them wonder, wow, why did he do that? What is one of those things? The kind of love we practice. Anyone can love those who do good to them. But if you love those who are your enemies, that's different, right? That's different. That's the kind of love that is empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we show that, when we enact that, they know immediately He's not just anyone who practices religion. He follows the true, the true Messiah. And so that should be us. You know, by our practice, people will know, oh, he must be a true follower of Messiah. So that's love. Well, how about joy? That's produced from the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read the book of Hebrews 10, 33, 34. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you help others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. 
him and all you owned was taken from you. You accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So what's an indication that one's joy is not based on circumstances? For example, you win the lottery, you have a lot of joy, right? Or your favorite team wins, you have a lot of joy. And so what makes joy different, joy that's produced by the Holy Spirit, different from regular joy? Well, joy that is produced by the Holy Spirit is so strong and so consistent that even when the circumstances are against the experience of joy, you experience it still. Like the people of God who were ridiculed and beaten, thrown into jail, or the property was taken away from them. But they accepted with joy. One of the most admirable qualities of the followers of our King Yahushua in the first century when they were persecuted by the Romans was when they faced the beasts, the arena of beasts, when they faced the fire, when they faced the torture, singing hymns to Yahushua with joy. They were perplexed by that. How could these Christians who were about to be put to death, who were about to be tortured, how can they remain joyful? Holy Spirit. You see, that's the mark. That's the acid test of a true follower of Yahusha. Love, joy. Next is peace. I mean, what is this peace that is the product, the result of the Holy Spirit? Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Yahushua. What is the peace that is the result of the Holy Spirit? It is the peace that exceeds anything we can understand. And so it's incomprehensible peace. Just like Stephen, when he was being uh, stoned to death, when he was persecuted and when he was facing the court and he was judged to be condemned to die by stoning while he was being stoned, he did not experience any fear. He had peace. Peace that exceeded anything we, any of us can understand. It's peace that doesn't make logical sense, right? We can experience something like that in the midst of fear. We have peace because we know Yahuwah is in control of all things like Stephen was. So that's peace. It comes from the Holy Spirit. What else? Patience. What is this patience that comes from the Holy Spirit? The book of James 5, 7 to 8. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. We give, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. What's an example of peace or of patience? That is the, the result of the Holy Spirit in us. It is patience in the midst of great suffering. 
And so when we're able to endure great suffering, waiting for the promise of Yahuwah and Yahusha to be fulfilled in our life, that's the result of the Holy Spirit. Because I know sometimes we pray, and there are things we pray for. We pray and we pray, and sometimes the response from heaven is to wait, be patient. And so when it comes to understanding patience, we need to consider the farmer. Because when a farmer plants the seed and waters the seed, it doesn't mean that the next day you have the plant, right? You have to keep cultivating the land. You keep pouring, you keep um, nourishing the seed. You keep watering the, uh, the seed until one day, one day it begins to germinate, begins to sprout, becomes a tree, right? So it requires a lot of patience. But to wait a long time is different when as you wait, you're going through great suffering. That's the kind of patience. Those two words, patient, endurance, they go together. The kind of patience Galatians is talking about is patient endurance. Like the patient endurance of who? Job. Okay. So that's the power of the Holy Spirit. What else? Uh, kindness. And so when we think of kindness by definition, it's basically the application of love. Because love, as an emotion, you feel this this desire to help, right? And so when you act out what you feel, when you carry out that, that love in your heart, in your mind, that's basically kindness. This is why we have the term loving kindness. They often go together. So love generates action. That action is called kindness, loving kindness. And so what kind? what is an example of kindness? In the book of Luke 10, 36, 37, and Yahusha concluded, in your opinion, which one of these three acted like a neighbor towards the man attacked by the robbers? The teacher of the law answered, the one who was kind to him. Yahushua replied, you go then and do the same. Do you remember this story of our King Yahushua? It's about the, it's, it was about the, uh, the person who was robbed, left for dead, right? And there was a Levite, there was a priest who sees the uh, man in need, but ignores the man's needs and just walked by and went on his own way. And then the Levite also sees the same thing, does the same thing, doesn't care that this person is half dead and needs help. But then all of a sudden there's a good Samaritan, Jesus sees this man in need, what does he do? He attends to him. He, he, he bandages his wounds, takes him, gives him, you know, all the things he needs to survive, takes him to an inn, pays for how much it would cost to, for him to be attended to, and follows up to make sure that he was cared for. So he did all that, this Samaritan, the good Samaritan. And our King Yahushua asked, well, who do you think, who was the one, according to, who was the one who was a neighbor to him? Because Yahushua said, we ought to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? And so who was a good neighbor to him? And then the teacher of the law said, the one who was kind to him. So that Samaritan is an example of kindness. I mean, how many people do you know who will go out of their way to do all that? I mean, when you see someone do that, you think you think to yourself, that person's a good, that person's a good person, right? When somebody goes out of your way to help you out, you don't even know that person. 
he's a stranger. You know, something is different about that person because not everyone's like that. And so when they do that, you know, automatically, this person is kind. This person must be moved by something beyond himself. And that would be the Holy Spirit. So we have kindness and we also have goodness. And so what is the kind of goodness that comes from the Holy Spirit? Galatians 6, 9 to 10. So let us not become tired of doing good. For if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap the harvest. So then as often as we have the chance, we should do good to everyone, and especially those who belong to our family in the faith. And so what is the character of, do, of goodness that should be manifested in our life if we truly belong to our King Indonesia? We don't become tired of doing good. That's number one. Number two, we do, we do good to everyone, not just a select group of people. And number three, we especially help those who belong to the family and the faith. And so this is the kind of goodness that is seen in us. As often as we have the chance, we do good and we don't get tired of doing good. Well, how about faithfulness? Because this also is a manifestation of the spirit. Well, what is the faithfulness that comes from the spirit? Matthew 25, 22 to 23. And the servant who had been given 2,000 coins came in and said, you gave me 2,000 coins, sir. Look, here are another 2,000 that I have earned. Well done, you good and faithful servant, said his master. You have been faithful in managing small amounts, so I will put you in charge of large amounts. Come in and share my happiness. And so here we have an example of a faithful servant. And this is from the parable of our king, Yahushua. Because before he left, or in, in, in the parable of our king, Yahushua, there was a manager, and there were people working for him. The manager leaves, but he doesn't say when he's going to come back. And so after he, before he leaves, he talks to his servants and gives them coins. Make something out of these coins. Put it to work, right? Be a faithful manager. Be a faithful worker. So he leaves, comes back, and then the, the accounting takes place. And so he interviews one by one his servants. And one of the servants was the one who was given 2,000 coins. And when he was asked, well, what did you do with the 2,000 coins? He said, here are another 2,000 coins that I have earned. In other words, he made a profit for his master. He worked hard for what was given or entrusted to him. He did not waste the gift that, the, that was given to him. And what did Yahushua say to him? You are a good and faithful servant. So who is a faithful servant? One who is faithful in managing even small amounts. The small things matter to him, not just the big things. And Yahushua says, you'll be put in charge in large Amount. So faithfulness is about being faithful, being loyal to what was entrusted to us. In other words, we do our best to use, to put into practice the gift that has been given to us as members or as parts of the body of Yahushua. So that's faithfulness. And then we have gentleness, right? Gentleness and how should, what kind of, what is the gentleness that is uh, the result of the Holy Spirit? Because when you see a friend, you know, you talk to each other, you're naturally gentle, right? 
But what's a good test of gentleness? Let's read here the book of 2 Timothy. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, when we look at all these different virtues, it's just one of the most difficult ones, right? It's one thing to be gentle when the person agrees with you. But when you're preaching religion, you're preaching the word of God, and they oppose it, they ridicule it, they mock it. What usually happens? You end up quarreling and fighting, right? This is why sometimes we say to ourselves, oh, I'm going to convert this loved one of mine. I'm going to convert this person over here. And so you share your faith. You share the videos. And then you ask, so what do you think? And then they give you, you know, like comments. Oh, you know, the, the church is politically correct. <laughs> and so you feel like infuriated. You become upset, right? I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you, this is like one of my weaknesses. <laughs> I think I need to learn how to practice more gentleness. I need to become more gentle, right? Especially when we're preaching something because we have been tasked to preach the truth of the word of God. We have been tasked to rebuke error. And so in our program, we do do that. And so when we have a passage that we believe is not appropriately preached, we preach it with us with power. We preach it with love. Sometimes... I think we, we need to add a touch of gentleness, right? Why? Because if we're going to preach with power, if you know I'm going to stand here in the pulpit and pound away and pound away, instead of producing the intended effect, it would just drive them away. Apostle Paul is right when he said, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Why? Because when we do it in a gentle way, Bible says perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And so this is a learn, this is a, a lesson that I need to learn. You know, don't try to force what you believe to be truth, who is to other people. Gently preach it, gently teach it, right? And let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts so that God will change their pe those people's hearts and they will learn. The truth, gentleness. And lastly, self-control. What is self-control? That is from the spirit. Well, I think when you look at these uh, virtues, I think when you see it, I believe, in, in my opinion, these different fruits kind of build off of each other, you know? And I think at the very beginning, when you're starting out as a new follower of Christ, when you belong to Yahushua, the first step that you need to do is self-control. And how do you practice self-control? What does that mean? Why is that the first step? Once you take this step of self-control, it leads to gentleness and faithfulness and goodness becomes kindness and patience, peace, joy, and finally, love. Okay. Why? What is this self-control all about? The book of Luke 9.23, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And so, beloved brethren, the reason why I believe in the fruit of the Spirit, the first one that we need to really kind of focus on is self-control. 
And for in terms of the spirit, in terms of belonging to Yahusha, because that's the acid test that we want to kind of look into, the acid test of those who truly belong to Yahusha, and it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I think the initial step must be self-control, and that self-control must be a choice that we make every day. You see, every day we have to make a choice. Every day we're presented with options. And so it's up to us because we're given the freedom to choose. It's up to us to choose what we want to do. And so every day, what do we need to choose? Yahushua says, if you really want to belong to me, if you really want to be my follower, every day you have to take up your cross. Daily means every day, right? And so to do that, you have to first give up your own way. That's self-control. Self-control is giving up our own preferences, our own way, so that Yahusha can lead us in every part of our life. That's what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. This is why when you think of Shiboleth, right? Our Shiboleth, you know what it is? For those who truly belong to Yahusha, those who claim to belong to Yahusha, I think our Shiboleth is Kyrios. Our Shiboleth is Kyrios. For those who do not belong, for those who belong to Ephraim, they cannot pronounce Shiboleth, right? Because they belong to Ephraim and they're used to Shiboleth. That's all they know. For us, I think a kind of Shiboleth would be Kyrios. Do you know what Kyrios means? what the word Kyrios means. I'm not saying that we pronounce Kyrios. That's what I'm talking about. I'm probably mispronouncing that word. It's a Greek word. But what is the meaning of Kyrios? What is that? Well, the word Kyrios means Lord. Lord. Because, and this is taken from Romans 10, 9 to 10. That if you confess with your mouth. And so if we're talking about Shiboleth. One acid test is when we confess with our mouth. How can we know if a person truly belongs to Yahusha? They confess with their mouth. Confess what? Yahusha is Kyrios. Yahusha is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so... Our shibboleth, in a way, is Kyrios. When we make Yahushua our Kyrios. When we make Yahushua our Lord. Beloved brethren, is Yahushua Lord of your life? We want him to be our Savior. But before he can become our Savior, we need to first make him our Lord. Right? He needs to be our Kyrios. This is why the acid test for us is this. Simply this. If you want to make it simple. Is Yahusha Lord of our life? Yes or no? And so if we call Yahusha Lord, if we simply confess with our mouth, Yahusha is my Lord, if we just say that. But we don't do what he says. Yahusha says in the final passage of our teachings today. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? 
So if we truly believe Yahusha is Lord, what does that mean? We do what he says every day in our life. We take up our cross daily. This is why Yahusha being our Lord should be what we believe in our heart. And it's what we need to practice every day. Because that's what it means to truly belong to our King, Yahushua. That is our lesson. Let us stand for our prayer. Almighty and everlasting Abba, Yahuwah, thank you so much for blessing us today with this teaching. Thank you for we know that you desire each and every one of us to be saved. This is why you gave us someone that we can follow as an example by which we can be led to salvation. Yahushua, you are that good example. You are our Lord, and you also are our Savior. Mashiach, we choose you. We choose to be with you. And so we open our hearts. May you step into our life as we choose you every day and surrender to your holy will. Help us to give up our own way, to deny ourselves that your lordship can be manifested in our life. Help us, O loving King, that in our life we will manifest the virtues, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we can all show through love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and also self-control all the days of our life. Teach us also to be gentle, especially when we have to rebuke error, when we preach your holy words. Help us to practice love and gentleness as we proclaim the truth mightily. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed each and every one of us today. For we ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.